And I remember laying underneath that house, you know, just butt, na- butt naked with... Uh, Good morning, afternoon, evening, brunch time, lunch time, basketball time and Tennessee time. Conversations with Congressman Uncle Deacon Barnes time. Whatever time of day it is, it's the right time for the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Wes Rucker and Grant Ramey coming to you from the Fort Rucker studio. And not long ago, we were about three miles away, I think 2.8 miles away from here, over at Pratt Pavilion, speaking with Tennessee basketball coach Rick Barnes. Got a nice exclusive interview with Tennessee's basketball coach, Tennessee's veteran basketball coach heading into the season. The, the Vols opened their regular season Friday night in Thompson Bowling Arena against the Presbyterian Blue Hose, one of the best names in college sports. And for those who have pretty much only paid attention to football to this point, Tennessee has played, as far as we can tell, four scrimmage exhibition type games and that was after a European trip they scrimmaged twice against Davidson behind closed doors they went to Clemson played the Tigers in an exhibition and they hosted division two Carson Newman for an exhibition and the Vols won all four of those games despite having some various guys out dinged up ankles small things like that a couple guys coming back from surgery but there's a lot of hope I think for this Tennessee basketball team it was picked 13th in the SEC there's no way around that but I don't think this team finishes 13th in the SEC. Uh, I think that I understand why people have voted them there, but I don't I don't buy that at all because I think there's some depth on this team. I think some needs were met and addressed in this recruiting class, and I, I think this team has some options. I don't think it's going to win the, the league. I don't think it's going to cut down any nets, but I do think this could be an NCAA tournament team, and I'm not just saying that because I wouldn't get your hopes up if I didn't think that was possible. But what we're going to do is we're going to play this interview that we had from earlier with Tennessee basketball coach Rick Barnes. And then we'll play that interview, and then we'll come back from that after about 15, 20 minutes. And Ramey and I will break down where we think this Tennessee basketball team is heading into the season. So without further ado, here is our interview with Tennessee basketball coach Rick Barnes. We're joined today by Tennessee basketball coach Rick Barnes. The Vols opened their season Friday night with the game against Presbyterian after a a pretty eventful few weeks there with some preseason games, some scrimmages. Uh, all wins, as far as uh, we could tell anyways. We couldn't see one of them. But uh, Grant Ramey and Wes Rucker here with Rick Barnes. And, and Coach, how how excited are you about about this team? It, it looks like this is sort of what you've tried to been build the past couple of years. It looks like you, you've kind of started building the roster you wanted to have. Well, I think like any coach this time of year, you're excited and you want to see where you are. And uh, we, as you mentioned, we've had three scrimmages, and I think that we've benefited from all three of them. And uh, now it's time to go – Friday night against Presbyterian and like I think most teams too this time of year you're you're trying to continue to get better every day you're trying to nurse some guys back that have injuries and uh, we're no different than I think anybody else but uh, we like our team we think it's the first time since we've been here that we can survive some injuries and uh, hopefully maintain a certain pace and keep that going but uh, our depth's going to be important to us and we feel like we have it we just got to trust it and we've got to use it. Why is this team a postseason team after the first two teams? Is it that depth? Is it more scoring options? Is it a little bit of everything? I think it's a little bit of everything. I, I mean, you guys know the last two years we've lost our best player come uh, late in the season, and Kevin Punter and, and uh, Robert Hubs, and that hurt us uh, both years. But 
I'm hoping again that you know we we don't run into that situation again. Plus, I hope that we have enough depth that we don't have to have guys play the minutes some of the guys have had to pay, play in the last couple of years. And so again, depth. We do think that we've got quality depth. We've got to get it back. You know, John Fulkerson, for instance, has been back, but he's only played what now really two games in a year, and he's got to get it back. And uh, Derek Walker missed some. Uh, very valuable practice time with with a concussion, and Chris Darrington is not back yet. But with all that said, it's also given some other guys some valuable rep time in practice. And I just think as the year goes on, we're going to have injuries like everybody, but hopefully we're going to be able to sustain that better. And um, we know that we need everybody. At this point in time of the year, people talk about rotations, this, that, or whatever. As a coaching staff, we know that we've got to get everybody ready because we're going to need them at some point in time. You know, I know no coach ever seems to get everything they want in a recruiting class, no matter what sport it is. There's so many players out there and so many schools trying to get them. But it, it looked like with that class you wanted to add some, some nice size and you wanted to add some experienced guards to, to kind of bolster those, those underclassmen that you had last year, those freshmen. Is that – was it pretty much that simple? Because it looks like you kind of you saw some needs and you went out and filled them immediately. It really is pretty much that simple, and you're right. We knew we wanted to add some size along the front line, and we were able to do that with Derek Walker and Zach Ken. And I do think Zach's going to figure this out. I mean, he's a freshman, and he knows it. He knows what he's got to do to get better. Derek was doing some good things, really had a good trip for us uh, over in Europe. and But he, he got set back, and during those two weeks, you know, he uh, – couldn't do anything, so he lost some of his conditioning. He put on a little bit of weight, and uh, he's going to have to get all that back. And then uh, I think the games uh, Sunday in Clemson was a great example of where a James Daniel fits in because coming down the stretch, his poise was really instrumental. I thought the way he handled the end of the game and his poise was a big difference. And um, he, too, is coming off a, a pretty significant injury where he's only been at it for about six weeks now. And we think he's going to keep getting better. But, uh, yeah, we, we knew. And then you add Eve's pond to that, same thing. You realize that you know, he's another front-line guy that gives us some athletic ability and can play multiple positions as well. I think my biggest takeaway through two exhibitions is when the shot clock starts winding down, you got more guys that are more comfortable with the ball. you got more guys that are comfortable shooting the ball. It's not everybody standing around looking for Kevin or everybody standing around looking for Robert, waiting for somebody to make a play. Do you feel like that in yeah. the regular season? Yeah, Grant, I do agree with that. I, I think we have guys. The problem is we just got to get them to look at the shot clock. That's <laughs> when it's coming down, you know. But, uh, you know, I, but you're right. I, I think that we do have more guys, and they understand that, you know, we don't really want to get to the end of shot clocks like that. Maybe uh, even, even in special situations when we're milking the clock at times, you know, we, won't, we don't want to get caught off guard with two or three seconds. And, and still, it's our guards' responsibility. It's everybody's responsibility, but particularly the guards, and uh, where they don't, you know, have the ball, and with three seconds on the clock, throw a pass to somebody that really can't do anything with it. And so, uh, but yeah, I do think that we've got more guys that can make plays with the ball now. Rick, I know that uh, you know it's such a day-to-day -day world and a week-to-week -week world for coaches of any sport, sort of at the college level, especially at the the high-profile places and the high-profile sports, but. You know, if you could rewind a couple years ago to when you came to Tennessee, you know, you, you had been at places where you had established cultures. And what did you see in Tennessee at that point that made you think, 
I can go establish a culture here. You know, I can, was it that there had been some success before? Was it the facilities? Was it the, the people? What, what all what kind of went into you thinking, well, this is going to be the right place? Well, I think all that. I, I think that, you know, you, you know that you're coming into a conference. Uh, that's where, you know, Tennessee had been successful. And I knew enough about, uh, I think I know enough about all the schools in the country now because I've been doing this for a long time. And it gets back to leadership and, and when I was hired here by Dave Hart, I think that, you know, Dave uh, obviously been around and he knew what he was looking for. And But uh, the players and, and then when you come in, come in, I think it's a lot of things that go into it. Uh, I look back at the coaches that were here before me. I think they all did good jobs and they did it in their way. But we knew that we had to come in and do it our way. And uh, so I have a staff that's uh, pretty much we've been together for a while. We know what we're looking for. We know what we want to do. And getting a culture is getting the players to buy into it but it's really not a week-to-week thing it really is just simply a day-by-day and I think that's the way you go about this job I think that's the way you go about life you worry about today and uh, you're trying to get better today you're trying to leave it better today than you did yesterday you're trying to find ways that you never stop wanting to improve as a coach you never want your players to stop wanting to improve as players but that's building a culture, getting them to understand that we can't have a bad day because if you have one bad day, it can lead to two bad days. And you don't want to have a, a day like I, I talk, I've been talking about the roller coaster. You don't want to be on the roller coaster. You want, to, you want to climb. You want to keep climbing. And you want your players. And if you can get two, three players that are consistent, now other players can look at it and say, I've got to be more like that too. And um, the hardest thing when you go in and start trying to establish the culture is just that, unless you have great leadership that's there, that's already been through it. I mean, you look at our team right now, no one on this team, as uh, player-wise, has ever – they don't know what it's like to be in a postseason tournament. So how do we get them to – how do we lead them there and get them to understand uh, what it's going to take to get there? And – you can set goals, but uh, the goal has to be we're going to go one day at a time. And, uh, like, uh, I, I talked to some of the guys yesterday. It was a day off, and they came through the gym. And I said to them, you've got to come in tomorrow with the attitude that we're getting ready to play a game tomorrow. And uh, you got to go at it like that. And that's hard to do, to get guys to do that every single day. But uh, that's where an experienced staff and I think players can really help each other by, again, trying to almost have a – a servant type attitude that I'm going to get out of my, my forget about myself and try to help somebody that's standing next to me. How much have the last two years bothered you uh, when it comes springtime and y'all aren't playing or do you, or do you, have you been able to be patient and feel like we're heading the right direction? Everything's on schedule. No, it, it, it's bothered me. I mean, I think you guys know, I, I told you the first year here, my full plans was for us to be an NCAA tournament team and, you know, you go back two years in a row, people have had us talking there at the end of the year, but we haven't finished because, again, I do know that losing Kevin Punter was a big loss. I know that losing Robert Hubbs last year was a big loss. But yet, I can tell you, our first year, I don't think there was much we could do about it. Last year, I think we had the ability to do some something about it, but we weren't tough enough. When he went down, we were looking around like you were talking about earlier, like who's going to do this now? Yeah. And that's what I think our team is right now. And that's where I don't want to just count on one guy because I've been – we've been doing this long enough to know that an, an injury like that can happen. So we've got to have other guys. And, and you're thinking about that every day. If, if something should happen to this guy, where do we go here? And that's why we've always tried to have a, a system, especially offensively, where you can just plug guys in if something happens and we can make some minor adjustments here or there. 
But the biggest thing that we know to get there, and we don't think we've been good enough to get there defensively the last two years, and this year we've got to be good enough defensively, and there's no reason that we can't be. It's a matter of setting our standard, that -hmm. we're going to do it based on how we want to play defense, not based on anybody else. And we've got to make sure – if our players want us to use the depth that we have, they're going to have to totally buy in to what we're doing on on the defensive end first and then understand that on the offensive end, it's got to be there from a discipline standpoint. But to play the pace that we want to play, we need all of them to do that. Rick, when you look at – you know, you all have so much, you know, film equipment and, and these days and technology and, and you have, you know, clips of everybody playing every game they've ever played, basically. But if someone were to ask you, what is Rick Barnes' style of basketball? You know, what, what, what's the basic sort of concept on each side of the ball there? And when you look at it, how much different is that from maybe when you got into coaching? How much sort of have you learned about the game and adapted these things throughout the years? No, I don't think that's, that much has changed. I mean, my view, if you ask me one word, I would say attack. Uh, attack on the offensive end, attack on the defensive end. I don't, I won't, don't want teams to be comfortable playing against us. Uh, now, when I say all this, but you also have to be willing to adjust because, you know, sometimes what you're trying to do might play right into the hands of the uh, um, your opponent. But uh, we want, we we want you guys have been in practice. We very seldom ever put a 30 second shot clock up. Most of the time, we play between a 17 and a 24 second clock because we want to get our guys to understand we want to attack. And defensively, we're trying to play 24 and play 94 feet. And that doesn't mean run and trapping and all that. It just means to, to be there, just going. And we can do that, and we will do some of that when we need to. But uh, one word, it would be to attack and be the aggressor. What's your recruiting philosophy at Tennessee? How, does it, how has it changed over the years, if at all? Does it change with each school? Or is it just something personally that you take with you? Everywhere. No, I, I don't. I don't think your philosophy changes. I, I think wherever you are, you realize that recruiting is the lifeblood of what you do, and and uh, there's no doubt that your players you're only going to be as good as your players. And uh, we know that uh, I can tell you, good players make the game easier to coach in, in a lot of ways. And but with that said, I think the most important thing is understanding what's going to fit into your philosophy and what you're trying to do. Uh, and that's where I think assistant coaches are just as valuable as the head coach and that when they go out looking to start evaluating. And we think here that we can uh, recruit the best players, but we, but we knew when we first got here to recruit the best players, you've got to, unless they're right here, right underneath your nose, mm-hmm. you've got to be able to show them that you're going to be a, a, a contender every year. But uh, with that said, we're going to recruit guys, and we believe our biggest philosophy is uh, player development. And we believe that uh, we, we, we're going to evaluate on our terms. And mm-hmm. with that, we're going to see what we can do to help them be everything that we think they can be. When you look at sort of, you know, the way kids are these days, you know, you've been coaching long enough to, to I guess, kind of see how maybe kids have evolved over the years. We've had kids with, you know, everyone's got their cell phones these days. Everyone's doing things differently. Are, are kids different now than they used to be? And do you have to coach them any differently as a result? And I'm asking that because – I really like the way that in practice you, you get after these guys, and it's never to, you know, getting after them for the sake of getting after them. It, it's to sort of make a point. And, and sometimes I wonder with kids in these days if, if they can handle it the way kids could 20 years ago. I, I don't think kids are different. I think parents are different. I think the people that that are in their lives are different because uh, I'm a parent, and I can tell you uh, <clears throat> I, may, I, I knew that I wanted to hopefully – 
provide for my kids a better life than I had. And sometimes with that, we've used that word spoil them. And uh, like I know that when I was a young person, uh, I had dreams, and I, they're the same dreams that my players have today. So I don't think players today, uh, I think they grow up all wanting to be big league players. That's what they know. That's what they do. But uh, I think as parents and as a society, we've made it uh, – we make it easier. We we uh, we really that term of uh, you know uh, entitlement. I think uh, people. That's I think the worst thing you can do is that people think they have a sense of entitlement. And I think the only way you can combat that is to be brutally honest and let them know that what they want. Every basketball player in the country wants. I don't care if it's at a Division two, a Division three, an NAIA level. All those players want to be pros too. And just because you're playing at a big school or playing anywhere doesn't give you, uh, you know, a God-given right to think it's I'm supposed to have it above everybody else, especially if you're not doing the things that are supposed to be done to get you there. And so with that said, I think that we still have to teach a work ethic. I think we've got to teach them to be uh, humble. I think that we've got to teach them integrity. I think all those things that as a kid growing up, I was taught discipline, all that. I don't think that's changed. And uh, But like I said, as a parent, I know that I made it easy for my kids at times. And uh, But uh, thank the good Lord that, you know, that, that that he's helped me as a parent. But, uh, but I don't think kids have changed. I know that they have more access to some things that we didn't have access to. So that's distractions. But, but I could go back and say that when I was growing up, you know, people were distracted by, you know, coaches always talked about girls. They always talked about alcohol. They talked about, you know, anything, just distractions. So they have more distractions and, than, than I probably did as a, in my generation. But the fact is, I don't think there's that much difference. I wanted to touch on some of the better uh, Rick Barnes stories I've heard quickly. Uh, at Davidson, you got there early for a job interview mm-hmm. or there was a miscommunication on the time and you basically sat there waiting like seven, eight hours to interview for a job. Was that it? Actually, I was supposed to meet Eddie Biedenbach at 8 o'clock in the morning, and Eddie was coming in from Raleigh, and he, he kind of forgot about it. <laughs> and, uh, but I'd gotten there. I left Hickory at 6, wanting to be there early. and So I got there at Davidson about you know 6.45 because it's only a 45-minute drive from Hickory. And, uh, but I literally did stay there until 7 o'clock that night, and uh, I was waiting. So I thought, well, I'll leave, and I'll come back tomorrow morning. And when I was walking down the steps at about 7.00, he came up and uh, apologized for being late. I went in and we sat down and we talked, and uh, he said, I don't know you, but uh, why don't you work my camp? And, and that's where it all got started. So I worked his camp, and then uh, he, he had hired, hired a staff. He had already had uh, Bob McKillop, the head coach at Davidson now, who's the course named after there, Jeff Buzdelic, who's been a very successful coach at every level. And John Cochan, and I was the volunteer coach. And uh, he got me a job working in Hoke Lumber Company <laughs> for a little bit. And then after three or four months there, I was able to get a job working for Equifax Services, where I would go around estimating houses, drawing them off, and doing all these reports with my wife. She, we'd do it on the weekend so I could have all week in the mm-hmm. office. And um, so that's, that is where it got started. And, and it's really ironic. Those guys that I worked with on that first staff are still some of my very best friends. What about your joyride through Hickory on a bicycle that your brothers that, told me that, about? That happened, too. You know, they, it, was, it was just a bet. You know, they dared me I would do it. And What was the bet, though? 
that I wouldn't hop on the bike and and drive. It, it was really about oh a quarter of a mile from where I was to our house, and uh, so I said, uh, I, and it was chilly, but I told him I would do it. And as soon as I jumped on that bike and had one of those banana seats, and the you know the high rise like the chopper handlebars, and I got a, just got going, and the um, the blue lights came on, <laughs> and I kept going and ditched that bike and actually ran underneath my house. That was it was our house was built up on cinder blocks mm-hmm. and underneath it was the red clay and i remember laying underneath that house you know just buck na- butt naked <laughs> with uh freezing on that red clay and i heard these cops policemen walking around the house and finally heard one of them say what are we why are we doing this is this all we have to do to look for a naked kid <laughs> <laughs> and when they left i thought they were setting me up so i laid there for, it seemed like forever but i remember coming out and i was freezing but uh i went back up and got my money there can't be that many people around that part that, that part of the country. Did they not know that maybe? Okay, that was that Barnes kid. Oh, they 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 they, <laughs> I, they knew it. There's no doubt they knew who it was because they all knew that little area that we hung we hung out at a place called Davis. And so and, one time your brother told me that you basically planted a coke can in his head, and somehow he was the one that got in trouble for it. He did. We well, we, you know, I was the instigator in my family all the time. And I loved to fight and wrestle with him, and he was doing something. I kept picking at him, picking at him, and he. Uh, uh, said, you better stop. I'm going to hit you. I'm going to hit you. And when I turned around, he really hit me hard. And I turned around and pick, actually picked up a padlock and put my finger through the padlock and hit him in the side of the head. And all at once, blood just started gushing out of his head. And I looked at him. I just took off running. And he had a Coke bottle in his hand, and he <laughs> threw it at me. And I ducked, and it went right That's through right. the That's wall. Right. And my mother came home and, and spanked him for throwing a Coke <laughs> bottle through the wall. And you, you were telling us about the, the giant tiger paw at Little John Coliseum, obviously where y'all played Sunday. Yeah. Uh, retell that story about how you kind of – I mean, it's almost as big as the court. It is. When we got there, uh, you know, they wanted to redo the court, and, and uh, Banks McFadden had told me, the you know, the real school colors were purple and, and uh, orange and not the blue they were using. And so uh, – and they had a real small tiger paw. And uh, so I said, why don't we uh, – I want a bigger tiger paw. And – they said, how big? I said, we want the size that's on the football field. And Bobby Robson, the AD, said, do you, ha- do you know how big that is? I said, but that tiger paw can never be too big. So they really did. They brought in this stencil, and they put it on the floor, and I said, that's perfect. And uh, so that's that tiger paw that's on the basketball court is the exact same one that's on the football field there. And now, what, 20-some-odd years later, it seems like every school in the country has an oversized, yeah. I mean, like the Kansas Jayhawks, stuff like that. Yeah, everybody. So I've, are you trying to tell me I'm a – You were the innovator. I, I was the innovator. <laughs> I like. No one's ever told me I'm an innovator, but I like that. Is, is the next step in those court innovations those those ridiculously uh, colored floors at some of these places around the country? I don't – now, I'm a <laughs> traditional when it comes to that. I, I don't I, – I like – playing basketball courts I really do I, I like um, just whatever it is like I think the checkerboard is a really neat thing I think it really is and uh, but myself I don't like all this all the different things on the floor I just like it plain and simple so there'll be no uh, orange colored or smoky gray colored court at Thompson Bowling <laughs> Arena in the near future I, I don't think that's my call but I don't think so I don't I don't think our people here would really like that you know Rick I guess the, the last thing before we get out of here what is sort of your your vision for for what this place can be because I think that you know everybody always talks about well this is a football school this is a basketball school I, I've never really understood that I think the Tennessee basketball fan base is much bigger and more passionate than than a lot of people around the country probably know it is but when you look at what you have here your proximity to talent you know with the way some of these cities are in Tennessee Nashville's growing what what do you see as sort of the, the where this place could be 
I, I think it can be really special. I think it has been special. And uh, I think when you look at it, and, and I agree with what you said about the, the basketball fan base here, when you talk about football schools, basketball schools, you know, every, every Power Five university in the country has a bigger football stadium than they do a basketball arena. And, but they all have pretty nice basketball arenas too, but they don't all fill them. I think here that if we – and I do think our fans here appreciate good, hard-nosed, tough basketball. And so I think they're waiting, just wanting to have a basketball team that's going to go out every night and they know they got a chance to win every game they go out and play. And that's all you want. You want to have a chance every time you go out. But uh, I think this is, it can really be – I think it's a special place now, but I think from what where we are now – it can get even better, and I want to see Thompson Bowling Arena really become one of the great arenas in the country. I was here one time on the other end with Kevin Durant, and I heard it, and I saw it, even though we got cheated by the official. But uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm, not, I'm never going to tell that story without telling the truth, you know. But, but the, five the fact se- is – Five-second call, is that That five-second yeah. call it was the three-second call, you know. But, uh, but the fact is, this is a special place, and uh, I'm impressed with our fans. I, I think uh, – Again, I think that we've got a great fan base, and um, I just think that we're very fortunate and blessed to have this opportunity. Well, Coach Rick Barnes, thank you for joining us today on the Go Vols 24-7 podcast, and uh, best of luck this season. Thanks, Thanks. Appreciate it. That was our interview with Tennessee basketball coach Rick Barnes. Grant, your thoughts? Uh, need more story time. There's never enough story time with him. The way, I agree. As long as he's been in the business and uh, the stuff that he's done and, and the, I guess the – the character, reputation, whatever that he has. It's, uh, there's always a lot of good stories. The most insane is that he waited eight hours for a job interview and just happened to leave at the time that he crossed paths on the steps with the guy that was missing interviewing him. That's uh, an incredible turn of events. Yeah, and the, uh, the that's almost one of those meant-to-be moments, I suppose, right? Like, yeah, like I almost asked him, if you don't meet him on the stairs, what do you think happens? Do you think you show up the next day and everything's normal and you have the same career path, or does that change a lot of stuff? That doesn't happen. Uh, he's the butterfly uh, effect, right? Yeah, he's the, he's teaching uh, geography and coaching basketball <laughs> at Hickory High School. He's still at Equifax, uh, <laughs> appraising homes or whatever he was doing. Wow, what a what a! Of course, you know, Rick's the kind of guy with his personality that anything he did, he'd probably be all right at it. But yes. it's funny how things work out. Now, Barnes is coaching basketball. Obviously, he's coaching basketball at the University of Tennessee, following a a long career that's taken him oh from all kinds of places: uh, George Mason, Providence. Uh, Clemson, Texas, Tennessee, and, and now after building a pretty good program at Texas and things, you know, we're, we're kind of cruising there with that program for a while. Then things uh, went down a little bit. There were concerns that, that he couldn't win the big game and he couldn't take that team uh, to another Final Four, which is what they wanted to do there. So they mutually parted, agreed to part ways after Rick wouldn't change a lot of his staff, uh, which he, he's a loyal guy, so that doesn't surprise me. And he takes a lot of that staff, and he heads to Knoxville, Tennessee. And the first two seasons, it looks like they're they're kind of competing, they're battling, they're right there, uh, heading into the final ten games or so of the regular season with a chance to to maybe play their way into the tournament. And then, lo and behold, uh, does not happen. There are injuries, uh, as Barnes talked about. You know, you had Pun- uh, Kevin Punter the first year, and then you had Robert Hubbs the second year. And he thought the first team. Here's what, what was interesting to me, Grant. He said the first team there was nothing they could do without Kevin Punter. Mm-hmm. He said last season's team could have done more without Robert Hubbs, and I – you probably heard him say that before. I'd never heard him put it that frank, that frankly before. That, that to me, was – I wonder if that's a motivational thing to tell his guys, hey, this nucleus was right here last season and could have done it, or if that's just the truth. I think it's 
the truth. I think he believes that was a tournament team last year, and they just didn't kind of play up to that standard. I mean, when they had that four-game win streak in January, late January, uh, Mississippi State, Kentucky, Kansas State, and Auburn, when they left Auburn, they were a tournament team. Yep. They weren't on the bubble they were in, and that was with about ten games left. And Hubs' knee starts bothering him, and, and the guard play goes south, and Jordan Bowden misses games, and everything just kind of stalls. The offense stalls. I mean, they they go from a team that can beat Kentucky at home to a team that you know can't beat Ole Miss on the road or can't. After having a huge lead. Can't beat LSU. Had LSU an awful team. Uh, stuff like that. So, yeah, I, I think for sure in his mind, last year was NCAA tournament team, and they failed to meet that standard. Yeah, you know, people talk about how much of a difference there can be between teams at this level, and, and there can be. But really, in college basketball, and you have so many schools and so few spots on these rosters – you know, you can have lower-level Division One teams and, or even Division Two teams that could beat Division One teams, and you've got teams in Division One that aren't very good that can go there and beat some of the top teams in the country on their day. That's just the way basketball goes. It's not football. It's a different sport. And, and I think what's interesting to me is that you've got some of these guys, and despite everything that happened last season, they were kind of they were kind of there. And you have teams that either rise to the moment or they don't. And I don't want to oversimplify it, but sports often comes down to those crucial moments. And that's where mental conditioning, obviously physical strength and conditioning, just a, a physical toughness, a mental toughness. There are teams that things slow down for them in those moments and they rise to the occasion, they make the play and they win the game. And then there are teams that don't. There are teams that just for whatever reason, when it comes to that time, the confidence isn't there. They just don't, they don't think they're winners. They don't, you know, they, they let pressure get to them. There are different teams that have different personalities. And that Tennessee team last season, you know, there were so many times where toward the – and it was really the first two seasons – where toward the end of games, you'd see hot potato. You would see guys, except for Lamonte Turner, who would not want to take that shot. Or Dietrich Mastella before yeah. he was booted. And, and Dietrich was the best at it because he just did not give – he gave zero Fs all the time. And they missed that. Franks. F yeah. is Franks. Yeah. He gave zero francs all go. the time. Zero francs. He was not frank. Keep listening to the podcast, kids. Yeah. We, hey, we said Fs. That's okay. Uh, that's Or we could put in a funny sound effect like, eh-eh. But I think the point is there are teams that do that and teams that don't. And how do you go from being a team that doesn't do that to a team that does that? Because even if Tennessee's good, like top 25 good, you know, exceeds expectations, it's going to be in those moments. You can't avoid them. How do you go from – not being able to shine in those environments to being able to shine there. Well, it's a it's a good news, bad news thing. The bad news is they haven't really proven that they can do that, and this is not a very senior-laden team. There's only one senior, obviously, and he's a transfer, James Daniel. It's an experienced young team. They had to play a lot in the past because of uh, the roster situation, but the bad news is nobody's really stepped up and, and proven that they can be that guy that uh, holds everything together when everything seems like it's starting to fall apart. The good news is the nucleus of this team is going to be the nucleus of next year's team. So if you find that, you're setting yourself up for what should be uh, two good basketball teams. You're, it's kind of like if, if you want a football analogy, it felt like in 2015 Tennessee wasn't really ready. They were talented, but they weren't really ready to be that team. In 2016, all signs pointed to 2016 as being the season that felt like the most talented like what Butch Jones had been working towards. Well, this feels like next season, 20, what is that, 2018, 2019, is the team 
that's going to have a lot of seniors on it. It's going to have a lot of options. Going to have a size, depth, uh, people that can shoot and score the basketball. That's going to be the most talented team Rick's had. But it feels like this team can take that next step and kind of be ahead of schedule if they take care of business, if they gel the right way, and it comes together quickly enough, and it stays together long enough. Yeah, what I'm wondering about is, is you know, they talk about all the times that some players are kind of a, a jack-of-all-trades and a master of none. And I think that kind of teams can apply to that, can, can use that same philosophy. And, you know, there are exceptions, i.e. the Golden State Warriors, where if they're playing a close game and it comes down to the final minute, it could be anybody on the floor, really, who could be kind of that difference maker, that guy who kind of steps up, demands the ball, makes that play. It's whoever's feeling it that night. There are other teams who try to do that, and and it's not good. But the Warriors, they can pull it off. Teams like that, you know, they're all right. Uh, the problem here is with Tennessee, obviously they're not the Golden State Warriors. And, and my point here is that when it comes down to those times late in games, you need a guy or two guys. And if it, it's hard for me when you go into a game and you don't know on a night-to-night basis who it's going to be. Because kind of teams just kind of feed the hot hand and and they do those things, but teams do need some sort of a hierarchy, and I wonder with this team, who could step up and be that guy? Because I don't know that I see a personality on this team that's kind of ready for that. I think the point guards are kind of quieter people by nature. Uh, the one exception probably is maybe a guy like James Daniel who. Uh, is new to this team, but has taken a billion shots for for Howard the past few years. Led Division One basketball and scoring a couple of years ago. He's a guy who is not afraid. Uh, maybe Darrington, a guy who you know is a junior college All American, a guy who kind of can score at will. It seems like at times, maybe he is that guy later in the season who steps up in those those situations and wins games. But if you're Tennessee, I just wonder if you need some sort of a hierarchy to emerge. And I don't want to start a problem where one doesn't exist right now. But I just see Tennessee being a team that's going to be there in contention for the tournament. It's going to come down to some big games here and there. And I think it's important to know who who's the guy for this team. Yeah, and it's they have a lot of options. That's obviously good. Yeah. Uh, I mean, in the past, it did feel like Dietrich Mistella. I mean, I don't think they beat ETSU the last two seasons without Dietrich. Correct. Um. It could be Grant. It could be Admiral. Uh, it could be Chris Darrington when he comes back healthy. <coughs> Sorry, excuse me. It could be uh, James Daniel. I mean, it could be Jordan Bone. It could be Lamonte Turner as much as he likes to shoot it and as much as he likes to hold his arm up in the air after he shoots it. Holds that follow through, baby. The good news is uh, before conference play ever gets here, they're going to be a long way down that road figuring out who can help them late in big games because uh, they got two sleepers to start the year, Presbyterian and and – who was it? High point. High cr- we, I can't even remember who the second game of the season. It's was. a win. It's yeah. a it's a bye game. But then you go to the Bahamas, and you get Purdue. Not going to be fun. No. Whoever you get the next day is probably not going to be fun. Maybe you can pick up a couple, one or two wins down there. In December, you have three ACC teams, uh, two on the road: Wake Forest and Georgia Tech. One at home: North Carolina. And you have two mid-major teams: Mercer and Furman, who are really good basketball programs. Uh, ranked in the mid-major top 25 by who or whichever outlet puts that out, uh, I think 15th and 19th. So by the time you get to January, December 30th, when they start SEC play at Arkansas, you're going to figure out who can help this team win games and stay in games and hold things together when it seems like things are falling apart. Because this, this schedule uh, is the real deal. 
And I, what I really liked about what Barnes did in this offseason was, you know, you can tell he, he's kind of an impatient guy by nature. He, he, he has a hard time just sitting, sitting down for more than a couple minutes without kind of starting to fidget and get up and want to go do something. And, hey, look, a bird's over there. Let's go check out that bird. Hey, look, squirrel. You know, something like that. But he's, he's a guy who lived in the NCAA tournament. I mean, I don't have the exact numbers with me, but it was something like, you know, 17 in like a 20-year stretch or something. I mean, he was always – When he got hired at Tennessee, he had been to the NCAA tournament more times than Tennessee had been as a program. Something, yeah. Something crazy like that. I, I mean, so, so you're talking about a guy who clearly knows how to get there. And being so close the past couple seasons and not getting there and then having things kind of fall apart late – and watching the way Tennessee's young guards played last season at times where you could see how talented they were, but you also saw how young they were. And they just – they didn't – they weren't so talented that they could kind of make those mistakes as freshmen and get away with them. And what he did was he went into the offseason in recruiting. He knew before that, he said, I need some more big guys. I need bodies. You know, there needs to be more length, more size, more strength on this team. And he's gone out and addressed that with some some nice-looking – you know, young uh, front court prospects. But what he wanted really also was older guards. And if those guys came in and they pushed those sophomores to be better and those sophomores held them off and kept their jobs, great. If they came in and those, you know, sophomores, fellow former freshmen, now sophomores, if they came in and just beat those guys out for those spots, well, sorry, Charlie, that's how it goes. He clearly looked around that roster and he said if I get better guard play I'm in the tournament and he went to go get guys one two-year player and one one-year player and said you know what I'm gonna plug these guys in here we're gonna add to this competition and somehow some creep some cream's gonna rise at the top here I loved it I think it was absolutely the right thing to do and I mean what did Lamonte say Sunday in Clemson like if you're sitting still you're getting passed up if you're not doing what's asked of you you're just not going to play because they have those other options that, I mean, in the past, you played in part because they didn't have any other options. Quay Parker wasn't going to push anybody. Nope. Uh, I mean, Lamonte and Jordan Bone made a lot of mistakes and, and stayed on the floor because they didn't have any other options. That's that's the – Butch likes to talk about competitive depth. They have competitive depth now. If, if the guards aren't getting it done – and I think that's – You've seen that in the preseason. I think Jordan Bone's been one of the best players on the team in the preseason. Yep. It's hard to get compliments out of Rick Barnes when he's talking about his point guard, but he's been loving some Jordan Bone this preseason. I think he's maybe only had two, two or three turnovers over these three exhibition games, two exhibition games in the scrimmage against Davidson. Scored a lot of points, had a lot of assists. And by all accounts, is running this offense the way he wants it to be run. And And what I really like with that – is that as well as Jordan Bone had played the first couple scrimmages and that the first exhibition and a half, when he started struggling and did not make the decisions Barnes wanted him to make against Clemson on the road, and you saw so many times what happened last season where this Tennessee 15-point lead, you know, turns into a 10-point lead, then a 5-point lead, and then it's a tie game, and then Tennessee's losing by about five or six points. Saw that time and time again last season. And that game started to go down that – that that same path and what did Barnes do well, he puts James Daniel in there and what does James Daniel do well he calmly holds the ball in a triple team when he's getting pressed in the corner he steps this is, through this it. is less than 10 seconds left up to yeah and getting trapped in the corner yeah and, and so what he does is 
patiently kind of works his way through that double team and fires an outlet pass deep down court to Admiral Schofield, who lays it in, and that's the ball game. And Clemson coach uh, Brad Brownell, after the game, said the same thing. He said most players in that situation are going to turn the ball over, but that kid has experience, that kid kept his composure, and that kid helped them win the basketball game. So as well as Bone had been playing, the second things started going down a bad path, boom, he's out of the lineup. Because Barnes is saying the message is simple. This team is ready to win right now. And if you're a point guard and you're not helping this team win right now, you are not going to play. And I, I love it. He's got options and he's not afraid to use them. Yeah, and, and the way things fell apart, uh, it felt so it felt like you're sitting there watching last season's team yep. all over again. I mean, it's the exact same thing that happened to Mississippi State, uh, at Ole Miss, uh, Georgia at home. You could just feel it coming and there's nobody on the floor that can stop it. That's uh, that. That for me was a, an alarming sign. I mean, it's a good thing they they felt it during the preseason. They felt it in an exhibition setting, uh, a really unique exhibition where it's a, a power five opponent on the road, uh, an ACC school, uh, nonetheless. So I was a little bit more concerned. Even though they did hold on the lead, they they have a guy like James Daniel that can make that play late. It's a little bit more concerning to me that it just happened in general. You can't be up seventeen with six minutes left and just have things fall apart and let those Clemson guards shoot over you and, and do whatever. Uh, but they do have options when it comes to finding somebody to hold that together. And, and you saw, you know, games kind of always hang on a couple of moments. And if the, this moment goes a certain way, boom, a team is knocked out, or boom, a team is off the mat and coming back and punts in the other way. And there was a pretty clear sign to me in that game when that happened. I think it was about five minutes or so left on the clock. Tennessee's up by 15 points. And Tennessee misses a, a ball, uh, you know, kind of a – I think it was some sort of an elbow jumper somewhere around the rim. Tennessee gets the rebound offensively, kicks it out, immediately takes a three again, misses it, gets another rebound, kicks it right back out to the three-point line, again jacks up a three immediately, and finally Clemson gets the rebound. And then you can already see Barnes is starting to just fume right there. Because what does Clemson do? It gets the next rebound, fires it down court, gets a layup, and then Tennessee comes down and misses. Boom, a Clemson three. Boom, another Clemson three. And all of a sudden, a game that should have been an 18-point lead with Clemson just deflated and done, all of a sudden you've got it into single digits. And there's still like four minutes or three minutes left on the clock. That was so very clearly something Tennessee would have done last season because what's the best three-pointer in basketball? best three-pointer in basketball is the one-off an offensive rebound. Because there's a scramble mode, the defense has not got the guy picked up. He's going to be open. He's going to catch it in the flow like he does every damn practice, and he's going to step up and he's going to knock that down. It's one of the best three-pointers in basketball, right up there with the, the big man trailing down uh, slowly down on offense and then hitting the one at the top of the key. Those are two of the best three-pointers in basketball. You need to take those shots because they're some of the ones you're going to make. But with five minutes left on the clock, you're up by 15 on the road. That 30 seconds is worth more to you than those three points. And it's things like that that Barnes, you could just tell he wanted to just rip somebody's head off right then because you didn't have Jordan Bowden on the floor because uh, at times because he was struggling, not having one of his better games. And you had Bone and Turner out there just kind of, you know, doing some of the same things they were doing last year. And Barnes did not like that, but this time he had an option. I think you're right, though, Grant. The fact that it had gotten to that point and you started to see some of those same things because we're all creatures of habit. We'll keep doing the same thing. I mean, they still have to learn how to win. Yep. They have to learn how to win at the level it's going to take to get them 
uh, where they want to go, and that that can come down to choosing to milking a shot clock over over stepping into an open three off of an offensive scramble uh, rebound scramble. So I mean that's that's discouraging, but at the same time, Tennessee's up seventeen at Clemson with six minutes left, and Admiral Schofield just hit his first shot from the field. And it was a three. That's one of your best players. And at the time, he had four points. He had made one free throw earlier in the game. Then he hits that three to put him up 17. Uh, to have him basically be a ghost, to have Jordan Bowden not do much, and to still be up 17 against an ACC team on the road, not the best ACC team by any stretch of the imagination, but still an ACC team. With a good coach. With a good coach. Uh, that's a good situation to be in. That shows you have other options. But it's a fa- it's a it's a matter of they have to get more consistency out of guys. Admiral can't be seventeen and ten against Carson Newman or whatever he was seventeen and eight, and then be four points and six boards at Clemson. Yeah, you, you need something in between consistency. And, and I think we all know that the point guards in the backcourt in general will be the thing that separates this team, that the, or the thing that defines this team. Whether this team is going to be what it's been, or whether this team is going to be better than that. I think that comes down to the point guards. However, there are other positions on the floor, and we need to talk about those. And, and you just mentioned a name, Grant, that I was going to mention next, which to me is one of the most interesting subplots of this team going into the season. Something that surprised me a little bit, honestly, when I saw it, was that Rick Barnes, at least for now, is and his staff are committed to giving Admiral Schofield a shot at the three position. And he's got the size and athleticism to do that, six foot five. You know, or six foot six, whatever he is, two hundred thirty-eight pounds. If he wants to play basketball professionally in somewhere other than a small European country or in Asia, he's going to have to play on the perimeter. But he's so strong and so capable at that undersized four position that it surprised me a little bit that they moved him. And I know that he can still go back and play the four, no problem. He knows this system, but. Did that take you back at all? Were you taken aback a little bit by that, Grant, or, or, or were you expecting them to make that move? Because I, I, to me, it, it seemed like a situational move, not something that you're just going to commit to. I, I somewhat kind of thought it might be coming because you want to have your five best players on the floor, and Admiral is an undersized four, is playing the exact same position that Grant Williams, an undersized four, needs to be playing. Uh, if you have those two guys on the floor at the same time and neither can play the three, then you're sacrificing size in the post. You're not going to have a Derek Walker on the floor or John Fulkerson or Kyle Alexander. You're sacrificing one of those guys for a six foot seven Grant Williams or a six foot four, six foot five, whatever he is, Admiral Schofield. So I think if he can play the wing, if he can defend the wing, if he can defend a guard, uh, obviously we know what he can do down low. On the offensive end, he can be that mismatch of, of you know, he's he's too strong for a guard, he's too quick for a forward try to take advantage of that mismatch, but he's got to pick a lane and stay in it. That's what Barnes said after the game Sunday was, you know, he's on, he's at the three, but offensively he's trying to do stuff at the four and he's just kind of stuck in between. You got to pick a lane and stay with it. If it works, it works. If not, then you're adjusting a a pretty good deal because you've committed so much to this move. Yeah. and, And when I talked to Admiral about it the other day, he said point blank. I mean, he is a confident kid. All right. He is. He comes from an athletic family. He's a confident kid. He's a smart kid, sometimes too smart for his own good, sometimes too emotional for his own good. Um, But he's not a dumb guy. He's a smart kid. And he said, point blank, I'm good enough offensively to do this. No question about it. He said, I know I can shoot. I know I'm a knockdown shooter. I know that I'm a better three-point shooter than I've showed in the past. I know I can do that, and I'm going to do that. 
his questions were, and where he said he needed to make the biggest adjustment was defensively, because he's got to go when you're used to banging against guys who are six, seven to seven foot tall. Then you go out there on the wing where some nights you might be guarding a six-two guy who's pretty quick. And while I think Admiral is quick enough and, and quick twitch enough to do that, especially now that he's lost weight, gotten more flexible, done all that stuff, I think it was interesting because I thought he might have to – he would talk more about his adjustment on the offensive end. But he said it's all about his defense. If he can defend that position, then he knows he can play it because offensively he said he has no questions in his mind, which I don't know that I necessarily agree with that, but at least he's got the confidence in himself, right? Yeah, and the big thing is I think you want – Kyle Alexander on the floor, you want Derek Walker on the floor. I mean, Kyle Alexander's been one of the better stories of the preseason, too. I think he's playing better basketball than he's played here in the past. Finally, yes. Finally. but we, we've, all, mean, we've all seen glimpses of it. We'll see if that, that holds true and, and that's something he can do consistently for long stretches in games or if he fades like he has in the past. But Tennessee doesn't have a ton of size. I mean, I think they redshirt uh, Zach Kent, who's 6'10", then you have 6'11". Kyle Alexander, 6'9", whatever. John Fulkerson, 6'8", 6'9", whatever. Derek Walker. You need that size on the floor. And if you're going to have that size on the floor without sacrificing Grant or Admiral, Admiral's going to have to be at the three. He's going to have to be good enough. Uh, He's got to be one of the best players on this basketball team, one of the leaders. Uh, He needs to set that example that that he can make it work on the wing uh, to make this team the best team that it can be. And and I think that that leads into – you know, another quick interesting subplot with this team and a guy who I really like his upside, he's got to get healthy. Uh, but Jalen Johnson gives the vaults another option there at that three position. If he can get out there, you know, really get healthy, he's still got work to do in the weight room. We all know that. But those shin splints just really bothered him last season. He had a stress fracture. He had to get it, had to get it dealt with. Uh, he's starting to get healthy now. And he's a guy who you talk about a freak athlete. This kid's a freak athlete. He's so fast. At that six seven size, he's got that kind of pterodactyl wingspan. He's a guy who I think later in the season could be given Tennessee some things if he can hold up physically. Uh, where where do you think things are with him, Grant? Because I, I think he's a guy who can do some things. Well, I was kind of more worried about his health than I was other guys. Uh, I thought maybe he would be ahead of uh, behind John Fulkerson. I thought Chris Darrington would be ahead of him, but it seems like Darrington's behind him in terms of health. Um. I mean, he had to have a rod put in his leg yeah. to address those shin splints. So that's a pretty serious thing. But then there he was going through full pregame at Clemson, doing everything else his teammates did. Tennessee says he's been cleared for about two weeks. They're just taking their time with him coming back. So I don't think they're obviously not in a huge rush to get him back, but it does feel like he's ahead of schedule, at least for what I had in mind. feels like he could be a factor. Uh, maybe some point in December, start working him back in, maybe in some of these games in November and, and go from there. Uh, they do They do need to get Chris Darrington back from that high ankle sprain. But, yeah, Jalen Johnson is a big-time X factor because of what he can bring you at the three, and he's a very similar player to Eve Pons. you got to figure out who's doing what and who can do it the most and, you know, kind of get that depth situation rotation going right there because something's got to separate itself right there, one of those guys. And if it's not Admiral, uh, you adjust from there, and, and at least you have options. But they got to start figuring that stuff out. And another guy who's at that position, obviously, we weren't going to not mention him, is, is Eve Pons, as Grant just mentioned, the uh, <coughs> excuse me, the number one overall prospect uh, in France last season who signs with Tennessee, heads overseas. He's picking up the English pretty well. He's doing a good job there. He's adjusting to life in the States okay from, from everything we can, we can ascertain. But uh, on the floor, 
this is a guy who is still very much a project. And anyone who had this misconception about that uh, probably needs to get that clear that the upside for this kid is absolutely enormous. He is one of the most athletic kids I have ever seen play at Tennessee. He's that kind of an athlete. Uh, And he's left-handed, which is going to give people problems too, like Jalen Johnson is. But this is a guy who, if he's just an energy guy early on for Tennessee, if he'll go in there and aggressively get rebounds, get some stick backs, get some dunks, you know, take an open three occasionally when he's out there on the wing, his game is a little bit more limited than I expected right now. But I don't think that changes anything about the the long term for him. But but what kind of player is he right now? He is an energy guy. Uh, I don't think he's very comfortable on the floor right now. Obviously on offense, he just kind of gets the ball and, and tries to get rid of it as quickly as he can, keep the ball moving. Uh, but I've tried to kind of make this point every time I've been asked about him is he needs to be defensive-minded, uh, be versatile defensively, guard the one through four, uh, go in the paint if they need him to, guard the perimeter if they need him to, block shots, uh, scramble for basketballs, um, just kind of impact the game that way, block shots, alter shots, uh, and then let his offense go. His, his jumper's a little bit, I think, better in person than I expected, mm-hmm. but it's still going to need a lot of development. Just his offensive game in general is going to need some development, but I think he can be a really good basketball player in time. I just think people need to kind of temper their expectations right now and, and let him be the role player that he needs to be for a while while he develops his other stuff. Yeah, and I think he's a guy who every offseason – can work on his offensive game and kind of get it there. And he can work on that stuff during the season too. But but right now, I agree with you. If he focuses on the defensive end and gets what he gets gets done, what he needs to get done there, I think he could be a guy who gives good minutes to this team and a guy who uh, will have some moments here or there offensively. He's a guy who will be on SportsCenter, I think, at least once during the season because of the ridiculous things that he can do in terms of dunking it, uh, blocking shots above the square, all sorts of freak athletic things yeah, that he can there's do. There's no problem with his offensive game when he's driving straight towards the bucket, <laughs> and and there's not a lot of people. And in God his be way. with anyone in his way, because yeah. if if he sees someone and he's in the mood, he'll jump over them or through them. But he's got to get that confidence. And you know what? That that's just uh, what what was that? That old uh, Dietrich Mostel. Got to get that confidence. Yep. When you get that confidence, you can do some things. Uh, but now we'll we'll move on, transition to the back into the front court more Uh, obviously we don't need to spend too much time talking about grant williams everybody knows what he is he's just a really good basketball player really smart basketball player and a guy who at his size does things that surprise you Uh, he's a guy who you know i went down and took some really bad pictures in the second half of that clemson game so i got to kind of sit right there on the court and watching what he does against bigger guys how he just effortlessly kind of shoves them out of the way and always gets where he needs to get doesn't panic when he's double teamed hey, he's just a good basketball player, uh, and he's not satisfied, which is good. Because I think at times, Grant, you and I both noticed this last year, and Barnes mentioned it multiple times, Grant Williams being such a smart kid normally helps him, but it's also his worst enemy at times because he kind of thinks that he knows everything. He doesn't mean to look arrogant. He doesn't mean to do that, I don't think. I think it just kind of subconsciously he feels like he's a smart guy and he knows everything. And he has to be reminded sometimes that he doesn't. And I think it's good that he goes out there and has, what, 17-8 and eight, uh, against Clemson or 17-7, and seven, whatever it was, uh, a guy who had zero rebounds at halftime when they got seven in the second half. He had he, 24. 24. Was it 24? Yeah, he had 24. He had 12 at halftime, six to six shooting. That's right. That's right. And then he, But he had zero rebounds, then he, he got all seven rebounds. in the second right. half. That, that's that's the, the best thing that, that can be noted about Grant is he went in at halftime, somebody pointed out he had zero rebounds. 
he knows that can't be good enough. He went out and got seven rebounds in the second half. He he can score, clearly. If you score 30 against Georgia as a freshman, 30 against Lipscomb, 25 against whoever else he scored 25 against as a freshman last year, you, you can score the basketball. That's clear. What he said after the game, though, was they other team my teammates can score. I need to rebound. We have many – we have, you know, the other scoring options. I have to rebound because that's what I need to bring as a forward. So that that's the good thing, that he realizes he needs to rebound. He recognizes that. And and you're right, what what he thinks he knows, that, that has been a problem for him in the past. He needs to know what he doesn't know. And I think that's what Rick is trying to explain to him. But it is a really good sign that he knows he needs to be focused on rebounding and scoring the basketball when he can because Tennessee does have other scoring options. They don't have as many – uh, rebounding option and we've talked a little bit about Kyle Alexander already he had I believe uh, eight points and six boards in just 18 minutes against Clemson and he looked more confident than I've seen him on the court in a while he he looked like you know last season it would he would take one or two shots early on a game because they had been scripted for him to do that clearly and then as soon as that was done he, he was just not going to do much offensively the rest of the game uh, he's starting to be a little bit more assertive down there he's starting to kind of get in there and get some good, tough rebounds. There's still times where he gets pushed out of the way because he's kind of built like Gumby. But, you know, he, he's done a, a much better job recently. Of You can tell he's a little bigger, a little stronger, knows what he's doing. He understands the game more. He was a guy who hadn't played much organized basketball before he got to Tennessee. Um, but obviously when you're 6'10", 6'11", and that athletic, you know, you're, you're worth taking. And it looks to me like he might be doing some good things. And we mentioned that a little bit earlier. But is there anything else you want to add on on Kyle Alexander, Grant, other than the the, the optimism from recently? Yeah, I mean, if he keeps trending where he at where he is, uh, I mean, eighteen minutes, eight points, eight boards, uh, six boards. I'm sorry, eight and six, uh, a block. I think he had a couple turnovers. I mean, that's a pretty good stat line for him. If he can give them those kind of minutes uh, throughout the season, if it's not something where he's playing five or six good minutes and then he disappears for the rest of the game. I think that's a big advantage because you, you watch this guy and you couldn't really tell if it's going to click or when it's going to click or anything, but it, it does seem like this preseason he's taken the right, the right steps forward. Now he needs to show that he can do it in the regular season. And if he does, it's a really, really big help to this basketball team. Now we'll quickly discuss the uh, the guy who I think is the to me been the most pleasant surprise of this entire basketball team is freshman forward Derek Walker uh, from Kansas City. Uh, a guy who was a decent prospect, not a big-time prospect, but but a decent prospect. And he steps in there at Tennessee as a freshman, and he's just the talk of camp consistently. Then he goes down. He has a concussion or concussion, you know, symptoms after a, after a big collision. And he has to take a couple weeks off, can't do much. So he's working his way back in conditioning. But, Grant, I'll be honest with you, I didn't notice this during the game, that it was to this degree. I went back and looked at the box score. Despite looking like he did, he was not in very good shape. Despite looking like he, he he was a little bit rough around the edges offensively, that Joker got seven rebounds in thirteen minutes, and he also had two steals in thirteen minutes. So when he gets his conditioning back, this is just a kid who I think physically is ready to play at this level. Uh, I think he's a pretty smart player. I think he kind of he communicates well defensively. Uh, I, I like this kid a lot, and I think there's a lot to I think there's a lot to like about this this young forward. I think he's going to give Tennessee some options. I think eventually he might be Tennessee's starting center, but right now Alexander's doing a decent job there. But but this is a guy who, who Grant, I, I think he could have a nice season. Yeah, I mean he could not score a point every night, and if he's grabbing between seven and ten boards, he's doing his part. If he's blocking a shot or, or altering a shot or coming up with a steal, if he's limiting turnovers and he's rebounding the basketball, he's fine. 
that's what they need. Whether he's a starter, whether he comes off the bench, if he can do those two things, he's going to help this basketball team. We'll wrap it up here a little bit with, uh, and we we went last year for a reason. And you know, this is a a guy who who's number ten in the score, number ten really. You know, kind of on the roster, number one in your heart, and that's John Fulkerson, the uh, redshirt freshman forward from the hamlet of Kingsport, Tennessee. You know anything about Kingsport, Tennessee? Uh, I've just seen postcards. Never been there. Grant is a uh, a proud Kingsport native, and just like all proud Kingsport native uh, natives, he he I hates smell like Eastman. he hates Johnson City and Bristol, just like any good Kingsport boy would do. Uh, but John Fulkerson is a guy who last season was sort of the surprise for Tennessee early in the year. Goes out there and plays great against Oregon, great against North Carolina. Uh, is a guy who's doing a, has a lot of energy. He's one of the better athletes on the team. Can fly through the air. Uh, he's confident out there on the court. He's quiet, but that doesn't mean that he plays quiet. He plays louder than that. All action, all the time. Then he goes down with just a really nasty injury uh, there in a in a game right there around Christmas time. Went down on the floor, big collision, uh, and it was just a just a really nasty kind of shoulder elbow situation. Came back from that, and then while he was on his rehab, he tore something in his shoulder working out one day. So his past oh seven eight months have been incredibly interesting. But he's working his way back in the lineup now. He's been cleared. He he's not where he needs to be conditioning wise. A little bit rough around the edges offensively right now, and and just he's just a little bit. I don't know what the word is. Maybe rusty would be a good way to put it. Needs to get in shape. Needs to get back in the flow. He had a three fouls in three minutes against Clemson. So he was pretty active out there. But this is a guy who I like a lot. And I think if Tennessee handles his his rehab kind of the right way and keeps bringing him back in the lineup the right way, I think he's a guy who's going to be a nice college basketball player. Yeah, and I was surprised he was back for Carson Newman. Me too. Uh, I was surprised he was back in the fold that quickly. I thought it would be a little bit more delayed, like they were taking his time and working his way back in. But, yeah, he's got to – He's got to shake the rust off and the cobwebs and all that stuff and get back to the player he was. And I don't, I don't think anybody's really that concerned about that. They know it's only a matter of time. I think he would have played more at Clemson had he not picked up those early fouls. I think as soon as he checked in, he picked up a couple fouls, maybe yeah. on the same possession. Yes, he did. Boom, so, boom. I mean, that's, that's, I think that's part of shaking the rust off. He's obviously got to get used to the flow of the game, the physicality, the contact, all that stuff. Uh, stay out of foul trouble and he'll be fine. You know, what's funny is as we wrap this thing up, the guy that we went down the roster, and of course, you know, we didn't mention Brad Woodson. Shout out, Brad, good Cubs fan. Uh, I'm not sure how much he'll be able to play for this team this season because the roster's been upgraded so much in some ways. But uh, still a guy who can go out there and help you a little bit, as Barnes likes to say. Hey, he knows where to cut, knows where to be, knows what he's supposed to do out there. Knows what we want him to do, and he goes out there and does it. Goes out there and does it. Uh, But the guy who we did not mention nearly as much on this podcast as we should have, and this is sort of the story of his Tennessee career to this point, is just – flying under the radar, Knoxville's own Jordan Bowden. He didn't play his best game at Clemson, but this tells you a lot about him. Despite not being a guy who was playing his best game and Barnes was frustrated with him, he was out there 35 minutes. Barnes loves this kid. The staff loves this kid. They love him defensively. They love his ability to go out there and score offensively. They think he may may be one of the better shooters, if not the best shooter on the team. Uh, This is a guy who they like a lot. And he just kind of flies into the radar, but a six-five guard with that athleticism, the, the, he, he he's still just a sophomore. And, and this 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 Knoxville native could have a nice basketball career, Grant. Yeah, and he is going to miss some shots like he did at Clemson. I mean, he was three for eight. He had what eight points in thirty-five minutes. 
Uh, he had a th- pretty big three in the second half, but other than that, he was really quiet. But I think this coaching staff leaves him on the floor so much because they know uh, he's going to avoid the catastrophic mistakes. Uh, they may not know what they're going to get from him every night in terms of scoring, but they know he's not going to be the worst person on the floor with the ball in his hand. Uh, he can play both ways. He's, he came along as a defensive player last year. He did have three turnovers at, at Clemson, but he also had three assists. He had three rebounds, uh, stuff like that. So I think they, they know what they're getting in terms of him uh, not going to be the guy that, that makes the catastrophic mistake. Maybe like in Big Lebowski, he's the, uh, the, the rug that ties the room together. Exactly. He knows what he's supposed to do. Grant, what kind of season do you think this will be for Tennessee? I don't, I don't know if we need to make any firm predictions right now. I think we'll so, put those in writing. Yeah, there, right. there, there's so many moving pieces to this roster, and uh, th- there's such a potentially high upside or, or low downside to this team. It, it's SEC is getting better. There's a lot of things at play there. We'll have that in writing. But in general – you know what kind of should be the the mood of a Tennessee basketball fan? You think coming into this? I season? think the upside is this is an NCAA tournament team that that doesn't have to worry about the bubble. Uh, they're not a terribly highly rated NCAA team, seeded team, but they get in. Uh, I think the floor eight I think, nine eight nine seed something like yes, that. Yes, from from there down eight nine or a higher seed, uh, a double digit seed. Uh, I think that's the ceiling. I think the floor is an NIT, uh, NIT team, which would be disappointing for a lot of fans, a ton of fans, but I think it would be uh, a step in the right direction, even though it's not the step you want to take. And I think somewhere in between is probably what they'll be, a, a bubble team through much of the spring, and at some point that bubble's either going to bust or uh, they're going to get in. Maybe they're a first four team. Uh, maybe they're one of the one or two seeds in the NIT. I don't know, but it feels like this is going to be a bubble team. That controls its own destiny, and, and, I mean, the schedule's there for them to, to make as many statement wins as they want to make, statement games. Uh, it's just a matter of them, how quickly can they figure it out and how long, we, how long does that stick together? Yeah, you're, my, my downside uh, is right around where yours is in terms of the, 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 the floor, I guess, or the basement for this team. My ceiling for this team is a little bit higher. I think with the right guard play, uh, you look at some of the experience there in the front court, some of the athleticism with the right draw in the tournament. I think this could be a Sweet 16 team if everything comes together the way it should. I think this coaching staff has experience. I think it it, it knows how to get teams to that sort of level. Just depends on how you're playing and when you're playing and who you're playing. In I the, mean, if you're hitting your stride at the end of February and into March and conference tournament stuff, yeah, there's a lot of talent on this team. But if they hit their stride in January like they did last year and, and things go wrong. But, yeah, I see your point. And in all of us, if you just get in the tournament, it just becomes a matter of, of matchups at that point. You yeah, know, a Tennessee, team that, is a Tennessee team that was in the first four got to the Sweet 16, and we've seen teams in the first four go to the Final Four. You know, it just it – just, it's a – it all becomes matchups at that point. But I think this team will be good enough to earn a seat at the table. I think it will go through maybe one or two frustrating spells during the season, but I think it's going to play pretty decent basketball overall. And I think it's going to be a fun team to watch, too, because I think this is a, a team full of guys who have a, a really good personality about them. I think they care about each other. I think they care about the game. I think they care about the program. And I think they know they could be a good team. And I think that's going to be interesting to watch how guys like Daniel and Darrington kind of mesh into this situation and, and sort of who becomes the alpha uh, or this team or at least the, the couple of betas out there on the floor because this team's going to need them. Yeah, and it's, it's a really – I mean – I've I've watched this team as much as anybody the last two years and, and this yes. preseason, and I really don't know what to make of them. I mean, maybe they're a first four team just because I want to get back to the <laughs> Dayton Arena and and that that uh, kind of weird funny scene. 
but uh, I don't know. Maybe that maybe they get in. Maybe they don't. It's gonna be a it's gonna be a lot of dramatic basketball up and down. I'm sure with a team this young and and got so many young guys in so many different places, but they have a lot of skill and, and maybe they make it work. I do think it will finish higher in the SEC than the Tennessee football team this season. That's true. If they're 13th in the league, like everybody's predicting, the SEC uh, is in a good spot. Yeah, if they're the 13th best team in the SEC. This league has got it humming. <laughs> they got better quickly. Guys, thanks for tuning in today. We'll be back, of course, next week. We'll have some stuff from basketball. We'll also have a lot of stuff from football, quite clearly. Tennessee going to Missouri, so it's another road trip for these guys over the weekend, which means another road trip for us on the staff. We'll be there in Missouri bringing you the latest. And Grant will be at the basketball game against Presbyterian, all sorts of coverage from that. Plus, he doesn't have to get on the road to Missouri because he's lucky and worthless at the same time. It's my sweet spot. We'll be back next week, guys. <laughs>